You're listening to a podcast from Victory. Together, let's have faith to declare the goodness of God in our lives. Know more about this truth in week two of Dare to Believe. We are on our second week of our series called Dare to Believe. We're going to be talking about declaring the impossible. Last week, um, basically, our series Dare to Believe is about the audacious kind of faith. We talked about Jehoshaphat last week and how he won, how God promised for him to not be afraid because of what was about to happen. Basically, three armies were about to attack Judah, but you know God did something. The three kingdoms fought each other. And then when Jehoshaphat and the rest of Judah went to the battlefield, everyone was dead. We're going to be continuing with that um, as we talk about this kind of uh, this audacious kind of faith as we declare the impossible. The thing is, before I proceed with our with our word, one of the major things, or maybe the main thing that stops us from having an audacious kind of faith is what we call fear. Fear, as they said, is the opposite of faith. So I'm going to be looking at, um, this is not a game, but I'm going to be showing you some of the most ridiculous kinds of phobias ever recorded in history. Okay? I'm going to show you the name and just try to guess. Okay, Maybe, maybe you, know, you know it already, but you know, give it a good guess. All right. The first one is called... Leucophobia. What do you think this is? A fear of fog? Land? Yeah? Okay. Heights? Okay. Those are actually really good guesses. They sound like valid phobias. This one are not valid phobias. <laughs> because leucophobia is actually the fear of the color white. It doesn't make sense also. Like, I don't know how a person looks like every time the person sees white and he has leucophobia. Another one, another absurd kind of phobia is called the barophobia. And barophobia is the fear of gravity. So maybe that person likes to be in space. I don't know. But it, it's an absurd kind of phobia. And the next one, I want you to, uh, guys to read, it, read this with me, okay? At the count of three. Okay, one, two, three. Let's all read this together. <laughs> phobia. I'm not even going to try, Okay. Interestingly, this particular kind of phobia is the phobia for long words. <laughs> Whoever made this up is just, is mean. This person is mean. Okay. The next one is called microphobia. This is pretty easy. Microphobia would be the fear of little things. Any kind of little things. Another one is called dextrophobia. Anyone would want to take a jab at it? Dextrophobia. Fear of Dexter. All right. <laughs> Dextrophobia actually is the phobia for everything on the right. So every, anybody who has a dextrophobia, anything that's on their right, they're going to be afraid. So they, they just have to switch places. I don't know. All right. Another one. This is one of the most interesting kind of phobia that I've read. This is called anatidephobia. Okay, this phobia, okay, I'm gonna, I, I have to read it. This phobia is called the fear that sometime, somehow, somewhere, a duck is watching you. <laughs> I'll read it again, okay? I, I, I want to emphasize on how absurd this kind of fear is. Fear that sometime, somehow, somewhere, a duck is watching you. <laughs> And the last one, this is what I call the fearception. Phobophobia is the phobia for phobias. All right. Now, these, are, these phobias are absurd. 
And, but the thing about fear, now, as much as these are absurd and ridiculous, we all have certain kinds of fears. We have legitimate kinds of fears. We have valid fears, maybe based from our life experiences, maybe from the things that we've, um, <laughs> that we've seen in the past. But the thing about fear is that this is a very crippling thing. Fear stops us from pursuing the call of God in our lives. Fear is, for example, a person who's probably very articulate, has a lot of intellect and has a lot of thought and has so much to say. But if that person has a fear of the crowd, that person will never be able to publicly speak. Why? Because of the fear that stops it. As we talk about the audacious kind of faith, we don't want anything to stop the audacious kind of faith. We don't want anything. God doesn't want us to be stopped by our fears. And that's actually what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be continuing this story through one of the accounts of Joshua where God promised something that has to do with his fear. And we're going to be looking at this um, from the book of Joshua. Can we all stand up as we read God's word? This is kind of lengthy, so uh, please bear with me. Joshua 10 verses 7 to 14, and it says here, So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. And after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Horon, and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. And verse 11, As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Verse 12, on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Aijalon. Verse 13, So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped. I want us to take some, some time with these words. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. As it is written in the book of Jashar, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. And, let's, and verse 14, let's all read this together. One, two, three. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a human being, surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for your word. Lord, open up our hearts and open up our ears, God. Lord, inject the audacious kind of faith in us. Lord, pour it out on us through your spirit. And after, Lord, thank you, God, for your message. So we will be able, God, to understand why you want us to have this kind of faith and how we will have it. And we thank you and honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Every year, me and my wife would have a, like, a little Christmas tradition, a holiday tradition, rather. We would go to a full-on Lord of the Rings director's cut marathon. And the the moment I was reading this text for the preaching this afternoon, this is the first thing that I've imagined. This is an epic battle scene. This is a huge fight between Israel, Judah, 
And this is actually a fight between five kingdoms. Last week, we talked about um, Jehoshaphat and Judah defeating three armies. This is Joshua defeating five kingdoms. This is the original battle of the five armies. Now, what happened here, um, Joshua had been having a lot of success with their campaign in going into the promised land. They're already in the middle of the promised land. The first one, when they entered, they had, uh, they encircled the, the, the kingdom called Jericho. You guys know the story. They went around the city seven times for seven days. And on the seventh day, they all shouted. And without any fight, the walls of Jericho just came crumbling down. They won because of a miracle. They won because of worship. We talked about that last week as well when Jehoshaphat worshipped. And all of a sudden, the moment that they sang praises, the enemies, their enemies were routed. And here, so that they were, they were in Jericho. They defeated Jericho. They went to another city called Ai. Ai, Ai and they had, God gave them a, a different strategy. Basically, what they had to do was to pretend they were weak, go in front of the kingdom, and then pretend that they were retreating. The kingdom of Ai followed them. And the moment they reached a certain point, the whole army of Israel was waiting for them. And they defeated another kingdom. Now, they already occupied two kingdoms before this time. And then another kingdom called Gibeon, another city, went up to them and pretended they were, you know, they, because they were afraid, basically. They pretended they were from another place. And they've heard how great Joshua is. So they submitted themselves to becoming their slaves and servants. And they revealed that they were actually from the city of Gibeon, part of the city in the promised land. And from that day on, Israel had Gibeon as their servants. The Gibeonites became their servants. Now, the thing about this story is what it's because of this. In fact, God gave Joshua a command to destroy these kingdoms because of their gods, because of their sin. But they allowed Gibeon to be in. And so we're now in the story. There were five Amorite kingdoms. These are five kingdoms that were so angry with Gibeon because it's part of their territory that they decided we're going to be attacking Gibeon instead. And all the Gibeonites were asking Joshua, Joshua, help us. We are your servants, so please help us. Five armies are about to attack our city. And so this is where we find our story now. This is where we find a story of Joshua. And this is what God said in Joshua 10.8. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. So the story started with a promise. The promise of God. And the promise of God is basically just this. Do not be afraid. I'm thinking five armies attacking one city and it's just one kingdom called Israel. They haven't really settled in yet. And all of a sudden, here comes this five armies. Now, I'm I'm trying to imagine the stress um, Joshua may have. You know, I'm trying trying to imagine how that looks like for us. You know, one of the things I hated when I was a student and maybe when I started working are deadlines. You know, if, if it's just one project, one paper for a deadline, that's fine. But for example, you know, your boss or your teacher gave you five assignments on a Friday night and then to be passed on a Monday. I mean, that, that, that's just stressful. 
I mean, I, I don't even know how I'm going to start. I'm going to be working on one project or one, one work or one client and I'm going to be thinking of the other ones because I have to finish them all over the weekend. You know, the stress that maybe Joshua had during this time. But God said, do not be afraid. Do not be overwhelmed. Why? Why, why is God saying, do not be afraid? For I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Now, this is a promise. God is saying, I have a promise for you. Now, when we talk about audacious kind of faith, and we talk about fear is one of the things that stops us from the audacious, fulfilling the things that we're believing God for, basically, we're all starting from a promise of God. It has to start from a promise. This is not just random stuff we claim from God. Lord, I'm believing God for a PS4 this year. You know, I'm believing that my mom will hear this prayer and that she will buy PS4 for me. It's not really about that. I I don't know. Or things that we're praying for and we're saying, Lord, I believe that I will be married to this person, this very specific girl or this very specific guy. Lord, I don't know why this guy isn't courting me yet, but I am believing that this person will court me and will get married. I mean, did God even say you're going to be married to that person? I don't know. But sometimes there are things that we are applying our audacious faith on random stuff. But here, obviously, God was saying, wait for my promise first. I have a promise, and my promise is only found in my word. And Joshua had to take hold of that promise. He had to hear God first. And God said, do not be afraid of them. For I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. I love this line, do not be afraid of them. Last week, we also have that line from the story of Jehoshaphat. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Every time you will hear the words, do not be afraid in the Bible, God was about to pour out a promise. Every time he he is about to make a commitment with with someone. He, he, He was about to say a promise to someone. One of the very few lines that he will say, do not be afraid. Why would God say that? Because we're easily afraid. God wouldn't give you a very small promise. Most of the time, the promises of God are so big and seemingly impossible that God had to affirm us and encourage us and say, do not be afraid because our very first instinct is to be afraid. And when God says, do not be afraid, all He's saying is, put your fears on me. He's not really saying, don't be afraid in terms of remove all your fears. We all get afraid. And I think it's all right for us to be afraid because it's our way of saying, I'm human, God. I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know what's facing me, for example, for this year, for 2016. In fact, facing going to 2016, I've talked to a lot of people. Um, I've seen this personally with other people as well and in the ministry. 2015 wasn't really a good year for some people. If this was an, if 2015 was an awesome year for you, then, you know, praise God. And be expectant for more for 2016. But for some people that I've talked to, 2015 was kind of a... uh. And because of that, a lot of them are saying, you know, I'm not really hopeful for 2016. We're starting this year. And we're preaching about the audacious kind of faith. And sometimes because of the things that have happened in the past, we have fears. And God is saying, and God is promising, do not be afraid. Because I have a promise. Now looking at this, 
The thing is, Joshua was already in the promised land. Um, the initial plan was this, okay? Joshua would go into, into the promised land, go to one city, one after another. They went to Jericho, they went to Ai, they occupied Gibeon, and all of a sudden, because of their, they have a plan. This is our plan. We'll, we'll take this time because it's pr- probably much easier if they did that. Go to one city, one after another. But all of a sudden, here are five kings, five kingdoms coming up to him. Or in other words, as I was reading this story, this looks like a God setup. This was a setup. Because we have that, we have plans, right? Joshua had a plan, but for this particular time, uh, that's not my plan, Joshua. Here's what. You want to take your time. You want to go through one kingdom after another, but I have other plans. So here are five kings for you to defeat. But do not be afraid. And looking into our own lives, is it possible? Is it possible? That some of the toughest times that we may have in our own lives are probably set up by God Himself. Because sometimes we look at it in a different way, like, God, why, why is this happening? Lord, why am I having a hard time? Maybe is it, it is highly possible that those times are God's way of telling you, I have set that up. Because I am about to show you what I am about to do. I am about to show you who I am in your life. I am about to show you how weak you may become and how, and how I am your only strength. That is my setup. This is obviously God's setup. But it didn't end with a promise. It wasn't just a promise. God gave a promise. But that something else has to happen. Joshua 10.9 After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. Gilgal were, were, were several cities away from Gibeon. But Joshua had to take that march. Joshua needed a response. A lot of us have promises from God, but it needed a response. It needs a response. We talked about this last week as well. Jehoshaphat had to respond. They had to wake up early in the morning. God had to Tell them to go to the battlefield so that they will be able to experience the victory. Had they not went to the battlefield, they wouldn't see what God did. And the same thing with Joshua. Joshua had to wake up. Joshua had to move. Because the promises of God, audacious kind of faith, is not an excuse to be lazy. When God, when we're, you know, there are things that we're praying for, Lord, we're praying for new clients this year. Oh, Lord, I want a flourishing business. Then we have to look for clients. Lord, I'm looking, Lord I want to I wanna have a job this year. I want to I be able to do this. I want this kind of career. Then we have to look for a job. We have to work hard. We have to be in our workplace and start worshiping God with our own work. Lord, I want to be promoted. Lord I've, been, Lord, I've been here for years. But, you know, it depends on what we're doing at work. Whether are, are, are we really working or are we, you know, browsing Facebook. That depends. But it needed a response. But aside from a response, Joshua knew even if he was afraid that he knew that he had to keep moving. Because there was an outcome. Verse 10 to 11, it says here, the Lord threw them into confusion, so they went through the battle. It was an all-night march. 
they went into this battlefield and there were a lot of armies. There were one army versus the whole five Amorite kingdoms. But the Lord threw them in confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. The Lord threw them in confusion, like what happened with Jehoshaphat as well. In verse 11, as they fled before Israel and on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Now, I want you guys to, to, to picture this. They went into the battlefield and God said, you still have to fight. So they did. But what God did was He threw all the enemies into confusion. Everything, you know, the, the fears that may, that Joshua may have, you know, they may, you know, probably the Amorite, Amorite kingdoms, they're probably strong, you know, that we're gonna be defeated if we fight them head on. But they did, and they went on anyway because of their fate, and God did something. He caused confusion with their enemies, but the moment they finished there, and when everyone else was, were retreating, they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah. The Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. I mean, man, not only was this God set up, this was God's fight all along. And God was just saying, Joshua, look at me. I'm going to have fun. I want you to have fun. I'm about to show you something. When everyone retreated, more enemies were killed than the sword because of the hailstones. This was God's fight all along. What are the things that we're fighting for now? We've been fighting for four years, but God is reminding you, can you give that up to me? That's my fight. Let 2016 be my fight, not yours. And be ready for what I'm about to show you. But how did this happen anyway? How did they defeat the five Amorite kingdoms anyway? Joshua 10, 7 to 14. And on the day, the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over to the valley of Aijalon. This is an audacious kind of faith. This is a declaration of the impossible. For Joshua to tell the sun, you stand still. Basically what he was, he was saying, this, is, wasn't, this, this isn't just for the need of magic, but this was because he, they needed the light. It was getting dark. This was an all-day battle. They were tired. They, you know, they, they were they, they wanted it, they wanted to finish this. So they they needed the light. Joshua needed the, the light, and this is what the what he could think of. This is what we need, God, Lord. Please make the sun stand still. Now, if we think about it, it's not really the sun that moves. It's the earth. So maybe he prayed that, but what God did is he stopped the earth. So is it possible that God also stopped time for Joshua? Or is it also possible that because, you know, with all the complexities of the solar system, God had to stop the whole solar system for Joshua? So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on the enemies as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. Verse 14, there has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. 
Now, I would imagine how big, how huge this is. I'm trying to imagine, I'm trying to put my, 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 myself in Joshua's shoes. They needed the light. They were tired. These are five kingdoms. And they were, you know, fighting the whole day. And he had to audaciously use his faith and declare the impossible. Never has this been declared in the entire Bible. Only one man, Joshua, did this. And he said, God, make the sun stand still. And the days were prolonged, and they won. Amazing story. And I would read this, and I'm like, wow, God, you're so good to Joshua. You're amazing, God. Lord, I want this kind of faith. But you know what I really felt was while I was studying through this verse? In this text, God confused the enemies, hurled large hailstones at them, and when Joshua asked for the sun to stand still, he did. But then I would remember, God, there was a time that I asked for provision for something I really needed. But it never came. But Joshua asked for the sun to stand still, and God did. But God, I was asking for healing for this particular time. I never saw it. I got so envious of Joshua. I would look into the story and I would say, God, I don't know si Joshua. I can't have that. I can never tell the sun to stand still. Lord, I'm, I prayed for a promotion. It didn't come. That's, that's small compared to the prayer of Joshua, isn't it? I have a simple prayer, God. I have depression and I just want out of it. But I'm still not out of it. And Joshua had to ask you, can you make the sun stand still? And you did. And I'm here, and I'm asking for this little thing, God, and I have never really heard any answer. I felt envy. I don't know if it's holy envy, or it's just envy, or it's just I'm entitled, or I don't know. I know God has a lot of reasons. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's teaching us so many things. You know, he's, he's, the, the, the character is much more important for him. But I would always look back in this story and I would look at Joshua who asked the sun and the moon to stop and God stopped everything. And I had to come to God and say, Lord, that's unfair. I can't declare the impossible because of the things that happened in the past. The things that I've prayed for, God, they were simple prayers, but I never really saw them. I was asking for my mom to be healed, but she died. I was asking, God, for tuition fees so that I can go back to school, but it never happened. Lord, I'm only asking for friends in school, but I never met them. They're all bullying me. Lord, I'm asking for people to not say bad things about me because it hurts me, but they never stopped. I'm asking God for a reconciliation with my mom. You know, I've been trying to say sorry, but she's still angry with me. And up until now, God, my prayers seem to be not answered. But Joshua had to ask you for the sun to stand still, and you did. Here's the thing. I was telling God that. I remember this particular guy, another guy in the Bible, who experienced something far more impossible than what Joshua did. Far more impossible. This guy had one request as well. He just said one prayer. But this prayer came from a heart that is full of doubt, 
but he received something far more impossible than what Joshua asked. Joshua asked, yes, for the whole world to stop, and God did. But this other man, this lowly, unnamed man, asked God for something far more impossible than Joshua asked. In Luke 23, 40 to 43, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said this particular request. And he said, Jesus, I'm here on the cross because I'm a thief. I am no warrior. You don't even know my name. I have no accomplishment. I have nothing to offer you. I have never been good in my whole life. I am here receiving the death penalty but can you please remember me when you come into your kingdom? Simple request. But Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you, not only will I remember you, today you will be with me in paradise. Joshua asked for the whole world to stop, and God did. Because not, that's, not that's, that's not a big deal to God. Not at all. But this was such a big deal that He had to send His only Son to die for our sins so that we can receive forgiveness because we were so far away from God. And this man knew he had nothing to offer God. He had nothing for him to be able to come to God. So what he was asking was far so impossible that God himself would move his own son to die for this man. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the thing. What we received because of Jesus Christ, the day that we met him, the day that we were forgiven of our sin, the day that we were purified, and every single day that we're living and knowing that, Lord, I am saved because of you, is far more impossible than what Joshua experienced. In fact, what you have experienced in Jesus Christ is far bigger, is such a big deal to God than what Joshua has experienced. There is no reason for us to be envious of Joshua for experiencing the sun to stand still because what I will tell Joshua, Joshua, what you have never experienced firsthand is to be forgiven of your sin, is for you to experience who Jesus Christ is. I can declare the impossible. Come on, let's praise God. I can declare the impossible things that I have in my head this year because the impossible has, has already happened for me. If the most impossible thing for God to be with man can happen, then everything that I'm believing God for this year, the promotion, the provision, the, no, the, the healing for my sickness is definitely possible because every single day I am living the impossible. We are living the impossible. In Jesus Christ, even if you may experience the impossible things you may have in your head, the impossible things you may be praying to God for, but you, may, you have never experienced the most impossible thing, then all those seemingly impossible other things are nothing. I'm excited for 2016. I'm excited for this year. I'm excited to believe God for more. I'm excited to believe God for so many seemingly impossible things. 
because I am a product of the impossible. You are the product of the impossible. God coming down here on earth, dying for you, loving you. And one more impossible, one most impossible thing that after three days, he rose up again from the dead because he won over death so that no impossible thing can ever defeat us. Why don't we all stand up? If there are things that we are praying to God for this year that seems impossible, I don't know, I'm going to get the provision for this, God. I don't know how this is going to happen because of everything that's happened in the past. But if you have anything like that, it seems impossible. You raise up your hand. We want to pray for you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you, God, for the impossible things, God, because it makes us see who we are in front of you. It makes us see our own strength. And it makes us see, God, how big you are. And so, God, we are submitting, God, these things that we're praying for. These things, God, that we're believing for. Whether it's provision for something, God. Whether it's a new business. Whether it's a decision, God, to move to, move to a new nation. Whether it's a job opening, God. Or whether Lord, it's, a, it's a baby. Or Lord, whether I'm going to get married or whatnot, Lord. Lord, we are believing, God. Because we are your sons and your daughters, God. And we can believe this in you. Thank you, God, for the strength, God, to declare the impossible in our lives because we are living in the impossible, God. We thank you and honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. One more prayer. Come on, let's give God a best prayer. We're talking about the most impossible thing, which is Jesus salvation for us on the cross and if you're here as all heads are bowed down and all eyes are closed and you're not sure do i have a relationship with him am i saved in jesus christ if that is you as all heads are bowed down and all eyes are closed and you want to know and you want to experience this impossible most impossible thing at a count of three please raise up your hand one two three Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand in the back. Why don't you follow me in prayer? Why don't we all pray with him? Lord, we thank you for your life, for your death, and for your resurrection. That is all for me. Jesus, I give you my life from this day on. You are my Lord and you are my Savior. And I belong to you. I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to one of our podcasts. We hope it blesses and inspires you to honor God and make disciples. For more messages like these or to access other resources, please visit victory.org.ph or download the Victory app for free on the iTunes Store or Google Play. If you would like to share a story of God's faithfulness in your life, please visit victory.org.ph slash mystory.